This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, what up, y'all? It's your girl, Vivica Fox, and welcome to my podcast, Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Darlings, don't forget to subscribe, download now to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Okay, we're going to have some fun today. I have known my guests since the beginning of my career. I guest starred on his iconic TV series, Beverly Hills 90210, where he played Steve Sanders for 10 years and appeared in 292 episodes. Years later, we reunited on Sharknado twice, and then we partnered together on Celebrity Apprentice. And in case you didn't watch, Donald Trump, the chump, fired us both. Currently, he's starring on Swamp Thing, a new TV show where he gets to play a superhero, Blue Devil. I'm so excited to welcome my dear, dear friend. He's an actor, producer, and awesome dad. Please welcome to Hustle with Vivica A. Fox, Ian Ziering. Oh my God, Vivica, your intro is, you know what, if there, there is a radio hall of fame, there's a TV hall of fame. <laughs> And you belong in it. That was the most amazing introduction. Your your voiceover, like I see you sitting in your chair, and in my mind, you're like bouncing up and down and having a good time. You you come to life. Yes, I every love, I, different kinds of media platforms. I and can I tell you how much I love doing this podcast? Because I, it's perfect. It's you're perfect I, for because this. Because I'm not looking for clickbait. I am looking to celebrate careers, and that's what this podcast since I've been doing it is just getting together with some of my friends, explaining to other people their journeys, their highs, their lows, their trials, their tribulations, and letting folks get to know them a little bit better than just, hey, I'm promoting my movie coming out Saturday. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So we're here to celebrate your career today. Okay, my friend? Oh my God. I'm still aspiring. I'm still aspiring. You know, it's a work in progress. Yes. Well, listen, let's break it down because you are an icon. Okay. You have been in the business for 44 years, four decades. That's a long time. I can't believe in myself. Let's talk about from the beginning. Okay. Where are you from? Because I I didn't know this part. Okay. I grew up in West Orange, New Jersey, about 10 miles out of New York City. And my career started uh, probably in fourth grade as class clown. I had dyslexia as a child. That was very uh, difficult for me to read. I'd get a lot of anxiety when we were in reading group way back in second grade. And all of a sudden it was, you know, getting to be my turn. I'd start to panic and I would tell jokes and I would be a cut up. And I got a lot of positive reinforcement from that. You know, the teacher wasn't very happy, but it kind of pushed me towards a performance um, career, you know, Hmm. artwork, gym, uh, theater, stage, anything I could do with my hands or my body. I could excel out. I I really just struggled in my formative years in school. How did pushed you, me into acting. How did you deal with dyslexia? Did you have to, because I never knew that about you, that you had dyslexia. I don't think you've ever shared that with me. So how do you do that? All the scripts and everything that we have to read. Come on. Yep. Well, fortunate for me, I, I uh, they identified it very early in second grade. Okay. 
And my public school that I went to, Redwood Elementary School in West Orange, New Jersey, Shout out. Uh, they, had a, they had a resource teacher. And I would go for an hour a day from second grade all the way through sixth grade. I'd, I'd have uh, Mrs. Carp. And I would step out of class for about an hour and I would go to her room. Mm. And mostly with flashcards. Wow. Holding up letters. And she would help me with my homework. And, you know, this is a B. I'd see a B. And I would. I still struggle. The only thing I still struggle with today mm-hmm. is a lowercase B and a lowercase D. I have to remember consciously when I'm handwriting mm. a small B that the B faces the Y. Because that's what she told me. You know, when you write a Burkhardt by Ian, just remember mm-hmm. Ian, the B always faces the Y. So see there, let's tell all of our fans out there that if you have a child that is struggling with dyslexia or reading, don't be afraid to speak up and speak out so that you can get them help so then they can grow up and be a big star like Ian Zeri one day, right? Oh, well, you know what? <laughs> I, I I feel very fortunate for the path that I fell into, but, you know, those formative years were a struggle, but it definitely mm. pushed me towards performance arts. I love the school plays, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. And then in sixth grade, on my 12th birthday is when I started acting, actually modeling. I started modeling and then TV commercials and radio commercials. I used to sing all the Frosted Lucky Charms commercials and until my balls dropped. And that was the end of that gig. But (laughs) (laughs) you're serious? You're you're magically delicious. That part? Frosted Lucky Charms are Uh, magically delicious. Yeah. No way. Oh, the radio commercials and all of the uh, TV commercials, the animated TV commercials. That was me. I love it. Oh, good for you. Now, who got you into acting and voiceover work? I'd have to give credit to my mom for making that possible. You know, in fourth grade, uh, you know, I, I had this big smile, but my head really wasn't you know, the, the proportionate. So I looked like I had teeth that could chew apples through a picket fence. I tell you, it wasn't pretty, but <laughs> my mom would, <laughs> Oh my, God. my mom would, we took headshots every year, fourth grade, teeth still were <laughs> all over the place. Fifth grade was starting to pull together and sixth grade, you know, I had big buck teeth, but at least they were all together. And, you know, I, I, I looked like the, the little boy on the Dutch boy paint can and, on my 12th birthday, I got an agent, the William Schiller Agency in New York City. Okay. And on my 12th birthday, I, I booked a, a modeling job for Crayola Crayons. It was, I remember it. It was, it was just when they had the process that enabled them to take artwork and transfer it to a heat press and put it on a t-shirt. Mm, okay. Yeah. So that was really where it all started. And I would book and book and the agent would start sending me out for more challenging things. And my mom... I uh, said, look, if you really want to be serious, you need to be a triple threat. And I didn't know what that meant. She mm-hmm. said, no, you need to learn to sing and you need to learn how to dance. Yes. And you needed acting class. If you want to take this serious, I, and there's others out there that live and breathe this stuff. You've got to, if you're going to compete, you need to have these skills. So that's really where it started in sixth grade. But, you know, junior high school and seventh and in high school, I didn't play any after school sports because either I was traveling into New York City for an audition after school, or I was in jazz class. So funny, my friends would make fun of me, jazz class, okay, buddy. And I'd laugh at them like, dude, it's all girls in my class. Right, okay, so I get the pick of the litter. How about that? Well, it's not that I was a player, but I had to have something to retort, and that's (laughs) it was true. I mean, you know, it served me well. I learned how to move. I, I, 
I was on Broadway when I was 16 years old. I was in Peter wow. Pan when I was 14. I, I, uh, I sang and I danced and I remember taking singing lessons, uh, at this, I don't remember her name, but my mom would drive me in for an hour at the Astoria apartments in New York city. And I'd go I, upstairs. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that uptown? Yes, somewhere? Like a yes 70, I do. Yeah. Yes. It's a beautiful old hotel. And I would sing and I'd have my audition song and, um, you know, I, I was as prepared as I could be. I was also, I also lucky. heard that you got a fruit of the loom gig. Oh man, that's come on. You, let's talk about yeah. fruit of the looms. Which one the were you, loom guys? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm really proud to tell you the super band waistband snaps back wash after wash, <laughs> and we they've got comfortable leg openings that still work well. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, which fruit were you? I wasn't the fruit. I was this little boy. The fruit of loom guys would pop up. I'd open up my gym bag, and all of a sudden, little fruit of loom guys, hey Butch, and it would they would all of a sudden magically expand in the locker room. And I was like, you know, surrounded by all these for the loom guys telling me not to worry because their mommy puts them in their bag too. And it, I have it on YouTube. I'll send you a link. You'll laugh so hard. Oh my God. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morf. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Now, how did we go from East Coast working as a model doing voiceover work to now coming to the West coast to start acting in television shows and films. How'd that happen? Well, it, there was a long journey from there. I, I didn't move to California until I was 26, but I went to college in New Jersey. I went to William Patterson university. I studied drama there. And, uh, my junior year, no freshman, freshman, my sophomore year, I took the spring semester off and went out to California for pilot season because that's where it was. That's where it was happening. That's right. And uh, flew out to California and got an apartment. I was 21 years old uh, mm-hmm. and booked commercials. I booked like 15 commercials in three months. I was on fire commercially, but you know, I wanted something more. I wanted, I wanted to work. I wanted to do film. I wanted to do TV. I was always reaching for that that golden ring. And it was elusive. I went back, uh, in the summer, back to Jersey. I took my junior year spring semester off again, mm-hmm. came out for pilot season again, made some more commercials, but then I kind of realized that the culture out here was so different. It was so, uh, entertainment industry centric where in New York and New Jersey, there's, it's more diverse. There's people in other industries. And I, I kind of liked the mix of people rather than the concentration. I felt that it was you know, it was tough to make friends out here. Everyone seemed to be an opportunistic, uh, an opportunist. And really? I just, that's yeah, how you felt about Californians? Kind of, kind of, sort of. So then I went back to, to New York to finish my uh, education. I booked a soap opera. I was on Guiding Light uh, for about two years while I was finishing school. And then after that, I'm thinking I'm the, I'm, you know, I got street cred now. I'm going to go out to California and, and kill it. I'm going to kill it. And I go out there and it's crickets. Oh, no and way. Even, you know, it was challenging even to meet women. I mean, you know, you, you talk to a woman 
you know, as, uh, as a young actor, what do you do? You're an actor. And it's like, everybody's an actor. You're not any different. Yeah. And then I, I found that, you know, if I was going to capture any att attention that if I, if I said, well, you know, I'm a casting associate. Oh, well that kind of changed things, but it kind of changed me. And I didn't like living, you know, a pretend life. I didn't like, I'm, I was always the kind of guy that wanted a girlfriend. I'd never really wanted to date around. It wasn't my style. I wanted yeah. to be married by the time I was 25. I wanted three kids by the time I was 30. It didn't work out that way, but I, I guided my, my love life that way. And I just had trouble, you know, meeting girls. So I, I figured, you know what? Heck with this. Can't get a job. Don't like the people out here. I'm going back to New York. If it's going to happen for me, it's going to happen through New York. Okay. Well, 90210 was done in California. Right. So I fly back to New Jersey and the first interview I have in 1989, when I got back from California, calling BS on California, my agent says to me, hey, I got an audition for you. It's called The Class of Beverly Hills, but it films in California, just letting you know. And, you know, my mom always said, you know, get it first with everything, anything I would hem and haw about. She said, get it first. And then if you don't want to do it, then you can turn it down, which was so smart of my mom, because once you get the job, you're like, Psh. I'm doing it. I remember I, I like I had this commercial audition for like to play a robot and it was so stupid. I was 17 years old and I don't wear this. And, you know, my mom said to me, look, I, you know what, just go get it. And if you don't want to do it, you could always pass. And I got it. And I ended up doing it because like, why not? You know, you got to look at, at, at what's possible rather than guess at what, what would be a negative. So anyway, I go in and I audition for, for, uh, I go into New York and, uh, to pick up the scenes, pick up the sides, the script. Cause there was no fax machine. There was no right. internet back there. Yeah, I had to drive right. into New York I, city. I remember I, those I, days. Oh. Yeah. And it had been about, Oh, 18 months since I had worked. I had not, mm. you know, it was tough. And the soap opera was over. Nothing was going on. And I go upstairs in this casting office, a big office and there's a legal pad empty. There's a pile of scripts and there's a sheet that says sign in and take a script, but nobody. Hmm. And I said, hello. And in the back office from somewhere around a corner, yeah, just sign in and take a script. Basically. Which, like, yeah, I mean, I was like the attitude and I was just, I was over it. I was so down on the entertainment industry. I was feeling that I'm broke. I didn't just want a job. I needed a job because I was, you know, 25 going to be 26 years old right and you know can't live off the parents forever and i graduated college and the soap opera was over and i looked down at this pile of scripts i looked down at the legal pad with 50 opportunities to sign in and i grabbed the pen all snarky and i write ben dover and i took all the scripts v <gasps> <laughs> okay <laughs> what I so what did you do? Scripts. You eliminated the competition? I grabbed all those scripts. I'm running down the stairs. I'm running down Lexington Avenue with like all these scripts. I'm running like a penguin so they don't fall out of my arms. I'm waiting for somebody <laughs> to grab me in the back of the shoulder. I'm running around corners. I finally catch my breath. No one is there. I take two scripts. I dump the rest because I'm thinking just in case I need an extra. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
yeah, I go home and I call up a buddy of mine, an actor buddy. And I said, Hey man, you need to help me workshop these, these scenes. I got an audition tomorrow for, for a TV show. And, and I worked it, I owned it. And the next morning I went in for, to be put on film by the director, Tim Hunter, who directed it. Mm-hmm. And everyone's walking in. Hey, is there a script? There was no scripts yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I had to ask for a script, too. I got to, you know, I got to fit in. I'm like, yeah, I could use some sides, too. But meanwhile, I owned it. It was already in my head. I was ready to go. (laughs) You sly little devil. So you you know what? So you land the part, though. But you get the part, right? But, yeah, I mean, and if you look back historically at Steve Sanders, I think they hired the right guy. Yeah, I agree. Pretty, I guess. I, I agree. I think they hired the right guy. It was, yeah. you know what? It was, uh, it was unscrupulous. It was, uh, I recognized that it was, uh, you know, I didn't break any laws. I maybe brought, broke the laws of being ethical. But at the same time, man, I was desperate. You know, it's like I said, I just didn't want the job. I needed a job. And, you know, <laughs> you, so tough times. Cost for, yeah, there's <laughs> drastic actions in tough times. I mean, even before that, my brother was in advertising specialties, you know, perks and premiums and pens with your corporate name on it and all these little things. And I had to make up a magnet of a foot. And on that <laughs> foot, it said, Ian Zeering. Now that I got my foot in the door and it had my agent's name on it, I would go to auditions and I would like, you know, secretly put that magnet on a filing cabinet somewhere or just leave it somewhere in an office. And I like I would get callbacks. Hey, I saw your magnet. That was a wow. good idea. Just, you know, you got to stand out with everything you do. You got to you got to find a way to stand out. You got to find a way to rise above and differentiate yourself. And though, you know, I, I the whole ripping off all the scripts was uh, not the most ethical thing to do. You know, I was desperate. It worked. So you get 90210. So now you move from New Jersey back to California, right? Yeah. Move out okay. to California. All right. The show is huge. Now, were you prepared for that exposure? I mean, 902 was everywhere, everything. I even worked on the show. I didn't get me and you. We had one tiny little scene together where I think I said to somebody, oh, I like what you're wearing. Most of my scenes are with Jason Priestley, Jason Priestley. And so I just kind of like remember you in passing. But this show is huge. It's everywhere. You guys are commercials, lunchboxes. You're everything. How did you deal with all that success and checks? Well, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't until uh, you know the the end of the first season where we had the episode called Spring Dance. Um, that's where we, for Steve we found out he was adopted, which helped us understand why he was such a jerk. Brenda lost her virginity to Dylan, and that was very controversial. A lot of people were talking about it, and then. We were off after that season for two weeks where we started up again with summer episodes. While everyone was in hiatus, we had original programming on the beach in California, very watchable content. Mm -hmm. And it just, it started to skyrocket from there. And, you know, we ended up doing over three, over 290 episodes. You know, we'd have seasons where we would do 36 episodes a season. I'm sorry, 32. Yeah. We would have double up episodes. I, there were times where I didn't even know what I was saying. Thank God for the script supervisor. <laughs> because I know. We, yeah, we would go back and forth between sets. There were, you know, there were a couple seasons where we had dual crews, mirror mm. crews. There wow. were two makeup departments. There were two, there were two of everything except 
the actors would be scheduled, you know, in the morning you do your episode on this. And then in the afternoon, you're working on the other episode, you go to the other scenes. And it was kind of like a dance around all the sets. Uh, Amazing that we were able to do that. But, you know, it, it started to take off and I had, I had a Acura Integra with my name, E-Y-E-A-N. So people could know that my name's not Ian, it's Ian. And, you know, then I started getting followed and I realized, wow, I better change my license plate. And, you know, just from there, you're right. Lunch boxes and, and perfume and, you know, global merchandise was nuts. Yeah. Now, after like this show is everywhere. Like you, you, all of you guys should have then went on to do movies and you and just, you know, sky's the limit now. But you told us that after 90210, no one would hire you. Is that true? Yeah, it took a couple of years. You know, mm. the show, the show was so mega, um, so big that, you know, it's kind of hard to jump into another role and have people not see you as Steve Sanders. And I knew that I, I expected that I, uh, I was, uh, just married at the end of 90210. I got married in 97. My first wife, uh, and I were building a house, uh, you know, the creative outlet that I get from acting can be satiated in other forms. I worked with an architect in designing a home. I worked ah. with the contractor in building the home, all the stuff that I liked from my formative years in school, arts and crafts. Mm-hmm. wood shop, you know, I revisited those things and I went out to Colorado and, uh, you know, spent a, some of my 90210 money building a house out up at 10,000 feet. Uh, and it was a place to make memories. Um, so wait a minute. Once again, you left California. Well, I would come back. I lived in California, but I okay. spent a lot of time out in, Cal- you know, I would be out there for a couple of weeks at a time, come home, you know, do whatever I had to do and come back. The The entertainment industry wasn't an option for me for about two years. Yeah. And yeah. And you built a house, like built a house, chopped the wood, and, you know, had the, what is it? The tractor and all of that old stuff and, yeah, and, well, and, and drawings and all of that. Like you yeah, really- worked hand in hand with the architect. You know, my first wow. meeting with him was that I wanted a house that had felt like it was growing out of the ground. It needed to be imbued with a sense of romance and whimsy. I wanted every bedroom to have its own bath. I mean, I, I, I wanted something special to create memories. My mom had passed away uh, a few years earlier, and I realized that my wealth isn't in money. My wealth is in the memories that I have of my loved ones. And Amen. I couldn't, you know, I would scour my mind for memories of my mom after she passed to just bring those moments back to life. And, you know, the whole house was built to make memories with my friends and family, to deepen that love pool where you can pull from after someone's gone. I I wanted someplace uh, magical for my friends and family. Uh, And that was the whole reason for that. And working with the architect on the design phase was, uh, you know, was amazing. You know, I would say something, he would draw it, I would tweak it, he would move it around and we would, you know, know, it was amazing. I'm on my sixth home, so I get it, trust me. Wow. Yeah, wow, I sold my house amazing. during the pandemic and was able to move into a new house that has got the most amazing view. And I love decorating and creating new moments. So I get that. Yeah. Now, 90210 just celebrated their 30th anniversary, and what, a few weeks ago. And yeah. you guys did a little reunion show type of deal, right? 
Yeah, well, it was not a reunion show. It was a podcast, an on-camera podcast that we mm-hmm. did. And uh, it was organized by one of the, you know, one of the biggest fans out there. He's very prolific uh, in the fan world. And he worked with Chuck Rosen, who was the executive producer, and Larry Mullen, who was also one of the producers back in the time. And he assembled quite a crew of, of people that had worked on the show over the 10 years. We worked with just about everyone in Hollywood. At wow. one point. Exactly. Agreed. Uh, I mean, you guys were the hottest show to to be on. I mean, it was like Beverly Hills 90210 or Melrose Place. Those were the hottest shows. After our first year, after it, you know, shot up, we we would get like a 23 rating. 23 million people would watch wow. the show. Huge. And today, you know, the big networks are happy if you get one million. They're over the moon if you get a million people. Agree. Those were the good old days. It fragmented as it is now. So, yeah. And then, you know, the second year, there were about six or seven other shows that tried to recapture some of what it is that we were uh, we were doing. You know, youth-oriented topical shows, the Heights, uh, the, the, oh, my God, so the many Bay, shows. There's a, so many shows. Now, you guys, the, the cast, all had great relationships over the years, correct? Yeah, we're all still friends now. I love that. That's so good to hear. Because you always normally hear, ooh, you know, I, I, if that one there, I hated, I hated, I had to kiss her. I hated, I had to be in the same scene with her. You know, you always hear that. Um, but, of course, the one sad thing about the show was the passing of, of Luke Perry, which was oh, yeah. just so shocking. Where were you when you when you found out about his passing? I, I was on a plane headed to Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, when he... Uh, had a, a a stroke and when i got when the plane touched down and my phone came to life it blew up everyone was you know well you wishing okay? for yeah. you know, and i'm like what the heck is going on and i i spoke to my wife at the time and she said oh luke had a stroke and uh it's not good it was a massive stroke and like i'm shell shocked at hearing this news but it had already been out there for a couple hours. I was just in the plane. I didn't know anything about it. And it was so surreal to me because I'm trying to, to, as this is resonating inside of me, that my, my buddy is, you know, just had a massive stroke. Had, you don't know what to think. You know, I'm walking off the jet bridge. And as soon as I get into the airport in Charleston, people who I don't even know are coming at, up to me. Hey, I just heard about Luca. I hope he's, it was so surreal, V. People, mm-hmm. Everybody. And like, I'm still trying to process it. And it's like, I was behind the curve. Everyone had already processed it. Everyone had already known more than what I had known, gotten a chance to, to, you know, make peace with the news. And I just, it was like being hammered. Mm. You know, I, I, I went over to where there's a Chick-fil-A and I, I, uh, you know, just had to catch my breath to see what, what this was all about. And then, you know, I wasn't able to talk to him. Obviously I wasn't able to get in touch with the family. Mm. And then uh, four days later, uh, he was gone. And, you know, in that whole time, not knowing how bad it was, I'm thinking, well, you know what? We'll deal. I'll work with him. I'll, you know, get him back on his feet. I'll, you know, I'll help him, you know, start whatever, whatever. He wasn't dead in my mind. You Mm. know, it's like people can live after a stroke. and Absolutely. And recover. in my mind's eye, it wasn't as bad. It wasn't bad. You know, it was like something, it was an overcomable obstacle. And Luke never, 
let an obstacle be a roadblock. He over, always showed how quickly he could get around it. And I admired that. How old was he when he, when that, when, when he died? Luke, Luke was uh, 52. Wow. Wow. That's young. I came to find out that uh, it was, uh, it was lights out on when he had that stroke that he was. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a massive stroke and he was uh, being kept alive. Uh, you know, he had a, uh, an advanced directive. He had a colon rectal scare uh, a couple years earlier and that guy put all his ducks in a row in the event that uh, he would pass. Wow. So his advanced directive was very clear uh, that he did not want to be supported on life support. Mm. And, uh, and can I say that's an excellent lesson that I just want to share with our fans that, you know, life is short. Take care of your business so that in case anything does happen to you, once you have assets and things like that, that if you think something happens, because none of us are promised tomorrow, that people will know where things are supposed to go. So that makes me at least happy to hear that he took care of his business, you know? He did. His family, uh, you know, there was no, his kids are so loving. Um, Madison, his fiance, um, his ex-wife, uh, they, they all got along. It was, uh, they made it work, you know, in, in the midst of, 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 of life where there's ups and downs, they were able to come together before he had passed away and be friendly. And uh, that, that's a lesson to me too. I'm, uh, dealing with that. I'm getting a divorce, but let's stay on Luke. A couple of years earlier, you know, right after his colorectal scare, he calls me and says, Z, I'm like, what? He says, I got, Three words for you. Mushroom burial suit. Okay. <laughs> That's what I said. All right. Well, what, what is the mushroom burial suit, Luke? He's like, no, nah, see, I just found this company. And you know what? When you die and, you know, if you get uh, cremated, there's so much carbon that puts in the air. And if you, you know, if you're put into a lacquer box, there's so many chemicals in the wood and there's so many chemicals in you. And it's just, you know, everyone think about all the people that are being put to the ground and how we're poisoning the earth and, this woman, he found this woman, I guess it was from a TED talk, who developed this suit that is uh, uh, covered with all these mushroom spores that, that detoxify organic material and bring it to the surface. Mm, okay. So he invested in the company or something like that. I, I don't know exactly what's something like this. He says, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm like, all right, well. I hope that works out for you. I, you know, it was in one year and out the, the next. Luke was definitely an idea man. Mm. And uh, when I was at the funeral in Tennessee, it, uh, that conversation had escaped my mind because I was so f just filled with grief. Mm. And then when his family uh, brought him out of the hearst, he was, uh, he was in that suit. There was a cowl over over his head. There was a uh, a suit that uh, covered him and buttoned down the side. Uh, booties and gloves. His hands were placed over his uh, over his body. And wow, that had to be tough. He was in the in the mushroom suit, and it, oh my god, it was like water was just falling from everyone's faces. It was you know, to, to bury a friend, but then, you know, he had such strong convictions in life. You know, Luke was so passionate about so many things and, uh, you know, he was an environmentalist. He was a farmer. And to see that 
like I kind of had to snicker through my tears, like <laughs> son of a gun. He did. And uh, he buried himself in, in that mushroom suit. And ultimately it will leach all the toxins uh, and raise them to the surface. And um, I don't know, kind of a beautiful way to go. It, like you said, it's so hard to, to think about uh, passing yourself yeah. passing, but yeah. you know, getting your, your accounts in order and, and having an advanced directive and, and it's the best you know, thing to do. Amazing. Well, we're not going to be sad. We're not going to be sad, but rest in peace, Luke. We miss you and appreciate, miss you, appreciate all your gifts that you left us. Mm. So let's move on because we got we got to talk, get, get, get this thing because we and you got a couple of things in common. That I didn't know that oh, you yeah. started off on soaps, but you and I did three things that we're going to talk about real quick. Uh, Dancing with the Stars, Sharknado we did together, and Celebrity Apprentice. So let's go through each one quickly. So <laughs> okay. you did Dancing with the Stars. What was that experience like for you? It was great for me until they kicked my ass off early and it, I felt like I was water cooler talk. What was your experience like? <laughs> um, that was one of the most challenging things I've ever done. It was yeah. so physically demanding. And for me, I learned by repetition. So I wanted to just practice nonstop. You know, when you go on that show, they tell you, you can practice as much as you want or as little as you want. Exactly. You know, and I wanted to practice a lot, you know, so. Um, what season you were know, you on? I was on season four. Oh, right after me. I was on season three. So did you enjoy it? I liked the work. I loved it. I loved learning a new skill. Mm -hmm. I liked the fact that, uh, you know, I. I I was on TV again. It was a little bit after 90210. It was really, and that was, I think, in 07 or 08 is when I did. When did you do it? Gosh, I did, the, the season before yours, I don't remember what year it was, but yeah, I, I, I turned it down because at first they kept coming at me and it used to be like this show for the has-beens. And I think that we kind of turned it on. I was on that year that Mario Lopez was on there. I mean, like, it was great. It was really great. It was just yeah. All that oh, day practicing got on my nerves. I mean, I think I threw out a shoulder, all kinds of stuff. And oh, uh, I, I ended up with foot surgery myself. It's yeah. uh, it's no joke. Yeah, but, it's no joke. So when you all see folks on Dancing with the Stars, know that they put you through it, okay? Yeah, they do put you through it. And uh, got to the semifinals. Oh, did you uh, really? You got far. I got I got pretty far. I did okay. I was good for uh, you. I I had one dance where. Uh, it was a, I think it was the quick step. It was the quick step and it was to an Elvis song. And I dressed up like Elvis. Mm -hmm. uh, my 85 year old father was uh, right there on the, you know, right in the seats, right next to me. I was so excited. I, I, I loved this dance. I really, I owned it and I actually got a perfect score. I got three tens and I was so excited about that. And the most memorable thing from that entire experience was as I was walking off the floor, and they had gone to commercial break. My father, with his cane, got up, walked onto the floor and raised the cane and says, that's my boy. That's my boy. I love it. I love it. Okay. Now let's move on uh, because we got a couple of more things that we got to talk about that we shared. So you and I did Sharknado 2 and 6 together. Yeah. And I heard from my producers that once I put them my lips on you that you actually forgot your lines. Oh, you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I told you on the day. I, I was like, you just wiped my brain. I can't do the hell. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I gave him a sweet. Was that your first chocolate kiss? 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Right. We're going to keep it there. Uh, but <laughs> oh, my God. You're so funny. I uh, literally, you wipe my brain. I'm like, I, I, I didn't see that coming. I did like, I, I, uh, I literally, like, that's a superpower you got. Uh, you, uh, you don't even know. That, that's like a superpower. That's like, <laughs> you have such full, like, pillowy lips. And it's like, uh, oh my God. You know, we don't need to browbeat this, but it, it blew my mind. <laughs> and, you know, everyone, I'm like, I need another take. I need another take. <laughs> and I was down with it, y'all, just so you know. I ended yeah. up kisser, too. Well, you know what? And I, it was selfish. I, yeah, I wanted to kiss those lips again, to be honest. But then also, it's like, for the performance, like, I can't, I got to talk. Like, oh, okay. There's lines after this. So let me tell you guys a funny story real quick about Ian. So Ian is so zen. He show whatever you want to do, you know, let's run lines. I mean, we had to run all the damn time. The only time I ever saw you slightly lose your temper was when we went to cold ass. Where were we at? Romania? Was it Romania? Oh, God. We were both on edge, V. We were, we worked for nine hours on ice. No, but you were, I never saw you. You were like, did you get it? Hurry, let's go. Because it was so cold, you guys. Like, remember it was so cold, like we couldn't even get our lines out? Because we filmed in New York, the first one. And we were on the top of the building. That was a little bit cold, but no. What was it? Bucharest? Was it Bucharest we were in? We were in... Uh, Budapest? Or Bucharest? Budapest, yeah. Yes. Romania. Y'all, I have never felt cold like this in my life. Do you hear me? And oh. it was the it's the only time I ever saw you kind of lose your temper a little bit. I was kind of like, oh, because well, you were just, it was so cold. It wasn't about me. It was for the safety of the crew. But like, you know, when Anthony, our director, scouted that, the boat that we were working on was in water. And right. When we went back, that water had frozen over. We had a whole day <laughs> on ice. Okay. And yes. it, it was so bitter cold. You know, I couldn't even move my face. Got to the point where it's like, I can't talk. <laughs> it was cold, y'all. But we, we made it But we made it through it and we ran from sharks. What, you ran from sharks for six movies and I ran through them for two. But oh, I loved God. working with you. I did. Two I did. We the, had the best time. We did. V, two, two was the best one. Sharknado yeah. 2 in New York City was absolutely the best one. Our storyline I was so bummed when you sacrifice your character sacrifices herself. And I was so ec ecstatic to hear that. Oh my God, we're going back in time and bringing yes. you back was, yeah. it's like there should, I always felt, I always said there should have been more, more to that. It would have been so no. interesting. No um, doubt. But yeah, crazy. Cra that was the yeah. craziest movie. It took me all over the world, yes. you know, super low budget filmmaking that mm -hmm. reached the kind of, popularity that big budget hundred million dollar movies aspire to yes i mean it i mean listen we were trending i mean i had we had no idea how huge like you know that's why I, to be honest with you why i wanted to be a part of it because i rooted for you guys because i remember when it first came out and they're like oh yeah sharknado yeah da, da, da. and then it came out and science fiction fans are the best fans because sci-fi fans will believe any kind of storyline as long as you show up and do it with dedication, they will. Correct, Ian? Yeah. You got okay. to uh, commit to the material. Then, Ian and I have another thing in common. We did Celebrity Apprentice together in New York City. Five oh, weeks oh. of my life, I will never get back. <laughs> v, I remember sitting in the, in the makeup chair in Sharknado when we were filming Sharknado 2, finding out that you were going to be also on the, the Apprentice. And I was thinking... Oh my God. I was kind of, uh, you know what? I know what you bring to the table 
And this was an environment that it's no holds barred. You know, when we work in front of the camera, we're acting, you know, there's a protocol, but that protocol goes out the window. This is for charity. So people get crazy. Yes. What was your charity? Uh, Best Buddies, uh, yeah, which I won $70,000 for them. Yeah. That, I won a couple you know of the challenges. I was really proud of that. I mean, I'll, I'll fight like a madman for myself, but when I'm fighting for others, especially a charity, yours, Best Buddies, so so worthy. I was fighting for epidermolysis bullosa, a skin disease. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, there's no lengths you won't go to. And I'm like, I don't want to go against V. My gosh, <laughs> she'll... She, I, I knew that but you, I, I you, felt you like were you very were clever. You were very clever. I learned a lot watching you. You were very clever. You were a good businessman. And I think, uh, to be honest with you, Donald Trump was jealous of you. <laughs> he fired me because I used it. It was so stupid what he fired you for, too. I remember being, you know, we have to watch while whoever gets eliminated. And I was like, oh, he's just picking on him. He's jealous of him. But you held your composure and respect because he did. He, he he could be quite the jerk, which we all see now. But, um, you know, I think he was a little jealous of you. What you think? I don't, I don't know about that. I was only disappointed that I didn't go out with the Cobra. You know, he's got two ways of firing. It's either the double point where he sticks his finger up and then he points at you. You're fired. Or he puts his hand up. He bends his two middle fingers and he like does the Cobra. Like you're fired. You're fired. Right. And I didn't get any of that. You did. I wanted that. I wanted my, my, uh, my farewell testimonial in the, uh, in the taxi. I didn't get that because when we got fired, it was a bloodbath. My whole oh, team that's got right, fired. the whole team. Oh, you, it was, wasn't it you and Brandy and, yeah. And Johnny yeah. Damon. Yeah, and, then, and we came back in and all of you guys were gone and we were like, what the hell? And yeah, it was like, and then yeah. you got fired on top of that. I didn't know what was no, going on. I, but- I, I resigned. I didn't get fired. I mean, they did fire me, but I resigned because they asked me, do you think that you could go up? And I knew Lisa Gibbons and Geraldo were bringing in bucks. And I didn't have that lined up. I didn't. So I was like, have at it. I finished three. I top three, I'm cool. I was done. Yeah. I was I was tired of fighting. Like I said, it was five and a half weeks. It was a long time, I am. It was grueling. I don't think I got more than five hours of sleep, but man, I prepped for that. I was ready to go to war. I, I organized my contact list. Yeah. Uh, between creatives and then money and then facilitators. And then I, uh, I uh, made friends with the crew mm-hmm. uh, looking for moles to get information. <laughs> Love it. So you and, had your whole plan down. Oh, this was war. I, oh, wow. I, I ended up winning about $320,000 for wow. EB. Yeah. Good and for you. You know what? At the end of the day, I would have loved to win that extra quarter million, but I'm really proud of what I did. Yeah, you know, good. for me, my motive for me personally was to be on all shows produced for my, to, you know, just to be topical. And we're able to do that. You too, right? You're on all shows produced. Yes. I, and I pretty that, much was, yeah. And, and that's that's a win. You know, no, that's yeah. a win for whatever it was. You know, Geraldo, uh, not a huge fan of his, but, mm-hmm, uh, you know, if I'm either. a producer, the guy makes, he's good TV. He was I, good TV. Let's keep he's it real. good TV. Yeah, so was, so was the, some of the chicks on my mind that I, to this day, still have and some battle scars left over from Slavia. Oh, how, yeah. how, how that woman stole your phone, V, Ooh, and got busted for it. Epic. Wasn't it epic? I was way, I was like, holy shit, knowing you, like, everybody's got a certain amount of reserve. I was waiting for you mm-hmm. to jump across that table, grab her by the neck and pound her. Yes. 
We got a few more minutes left before I got to wrap up with you. And I want to talk about your new role on Swamp Thing. You say your eight-year-old self is thrilled. Oh, V. When I was a little kid, I used to read comic books. I used to watch cartoons. I used to watch like Batman and, and Superman. And I loved all that stuff. I, I would take a towel and try and tie the small end around my neck and wear the cape down my back. I would have a stick and I'd go outside and I would have like the top of the garbage can for my shield. And, you know, I would do battle with the next door neighbors and I would vanquish all the bad guys. It's like, yeah, the superhero world was something that I loved. It was escapism. It was heroism. It was it was everything. And then I get an audition for a DC universe character called called the Blue Devil mm-hmm. on a TV series they're bringing back called Swamp Thing. And I used to watch I used to read Swamp Thing comics. I remember the movies, Adrian Barbeau and Heather Locklear. And like, so literally I started like I got, I'm getting goosebumps again right now. Every time I talk about it, I I started to get these goosebumps. So I got the scene, called up a friend to workshop the material with me because as an actor, you can't always be the guy, as you know, but you can own the room for your time you're there. And I just needed to own the room. And that's my win. Right. Might not be the guy, but I needed to do the best I could. So I always workshop my stuff. I always go as prepared as possible. If I screw up the material, then I'm the loser. That's right. But I don't like that feeling. I, I went in there so prepared. I The next day, my audition was in Warner Brothers in one of their small theaters. It wasn't even on tape. It was for the producers mm. and other executives, like seven or eight people in the room I'm reading with. And, you know, I do my thing. They're like, okay, great. Thanks so much. You know, the typical, yeah, next kind of Mm-hmm. feeling. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I left the room thinking, well, you know what? This is going to be an awesome project. I'm so grateful to even just be in front of those eyeballs. I did the best I could. I was very happy with what I was able to deliver. And that night I didn't hear anything, but the next morning I booked it. I told my agent, I'm like, oh, no way. On. Where's no. the callback that, that you mean they're this project, they're just going to book me off one audition. Cause I would have thought there would have been a callback, at least a callback. No, you did Sharknado, dude. They knew you could do it. It's an honor. You're like, thank you. V, I made my agent call back to make sure it was Ian Zeering and not <laughs> another Ian. I said, be sly. Don't make it like you're calling to confirm that it's Ian Zeering that's booked. But like, go and drop my name a couple times. Hey, I just want to make sure uh, Ian Zeering's call time tomorrow is 7.30 or, or, or whatever verse Ian Zeering. And they're like, yeah, okay. So he did. And he called me back. No, dude, it's you. It's you. And wow. I, I was just, you know what? The, the, it was just so, so surreal. And then finding that it was a James Wan project. This is the guy that does Aquaman, all the Annabelle movies. He's mm-hmm. a, a, you know, this guy produces and directs $100 million blockbusters. The fact that it was uh, Gary Dauberman and Mark Verheiden, the top horror science fiction writers in Hollywood. The fact that, you know, fractured effects did all the special effects, same people that did the stuff for Aquaman, you know, knowing that I was going to be working on the the first episode with Len Weissman, who does Underworld with Kate Beckinsale and all these other hundred, it was like, V, this was top of the food chain filmmaking. And you nailed it. And you nailed it. So have you guys started filming? What's going on? We shot 10 episodes in Wilmington in, uh, the beginning of 2019, mm-hmm. uh, it they aired on a on an app on a streaming service called the DC Universe, and because of some kind of bureaucratic BS, th- we had an original order for 13. After we filmed three, they reduced it to 10, hmm. and no one could understand because we all knew what we were working with. This was 
you know, Will Patton, Jennifer Beals, Virginia Madsen. We've got like amazing actors on this and me. And it was, <laughs> I snuck in there and it was just amazing. I couldn't understand why they would reduce the order. But, you know, word was that this is very expensive. There mm. may have been, you know, there was some bureaucratic things going on at Warner Brothers and like, OK, whatever it is, I never lost uh, hope knowing that when people see this, they're going to be blown out of their chairs. And then we aired the first episode on that streaming service and they canceled us as soon as it aired. <gasps> oh, that was something else. That had, that's guarantee you that was something political had nothing to do with you guys. I, oh, everyone knows that. But because of what's happening with Corona, because there's such a, a need for programming because the we, the cameras are not really rolling. The CW that's owned by Warner Brothers that also coincidentally owns DC as well as HBO, they decide to reposition their asset because they know it's they know it's a quality product. Mm. They decide to reposition it and put it on the CW network, hmm. and it explodes. Our first um, airing, ninety minute premiere, was it just blew the doors off television. This is big blockbuster filmmaking. For so, the small screen. So is it the show back? Yeah, they're airing all the episodes. We just had another episode air uh, and, and the ratings are even higher. So we're building and I can't see how this won't get picked up for more seasons. It's just too watchable. You know, the Swamp Thing played by Derek Mears and Alter Ego, Ego uh, played by Andy Bean. It's these two actors bring together, you know, Dr. Alec Holland when he transforms into the Swamp Thing. Um, these two actors, uh, they've got such amazing chemistry and you don't ever see them on screen because they're two different people playing two different personas. But the way they bring the character to life, there's a common thread that the human shares with Swamp Thing that it's amazing. And the, the writers, they're so masterful in creating depth of character. Because as you know, Sharknado, it's like sharks, run, run, run to the next thing, run, run, run to the next thing. There's no time for real character development. Right. Well, because the writers are so amazing, you know, you get immersed in the characters really quickly. You understand their pre-life. You get a, a feeling of their backstory because they sneak it in in a way you don't even know you're, you're starting to care about these people. And it's a it's a heavy drama. We shot this as a hard R and man, the F bombs, they just blurred the screen. You know, yeah, what I'm saying? I don't, yes, I know that's I, right. I totally prefer that than having it dubbed to another thing. Cause I call BS on that, but like, let the word, let, let the intent fly, just cover it up a little bit. And my ability to spend disbelief, will just run right over that. I'm fine with it. And it's, it is terrifying, haunting, literally spooky television. Um, they, I'm telling you, they spent so much money on this and you see it on the screen, boy. It is to hear mesmerizing. Well, Ian, you're a great dad and an, oh, thank a, you. a wonderful, I mean, I see you with your girls. I love looking on your Instagram page and seeing you throw your daughter up in the air and she's oh, just yeah. like, yes, my dad's great. But you did say something before you've been married twice. Been married to uh, married twice. I'm in the midst of a divorce right now. Yeah, it's uh, it whoa, whoa, whoa. comes with you're, with a heavy get, heart. You're getting a divorce. Yeah, um, we broke up in October, and you know she's a great mom, um, great person, but we're just not not really making it as a couple, and and it's uh, with a heavy heart that uh, we're breaking up. 
I'm sorry uh, to hear that. I have a tremendous amount of respect for her. But, you know, V, life doesn't give you a dress rehearsal. True. That. And you got to be happy. And, you know, I want to be happy. I want her to be happy. And the toughest, you know, we've been holding on for a while because of the kids. But, you know, it gets to the point where you start going a little crazy yourself. And yeah. kids are resilient. And my beautiful and be girls. Fine. And you know what? In the midst of all of this, this pandemic, this global sorrow, and not mm-hmm. being able to work, the silver lining is I'm maximizing my experience as a dad because I'm home with the girls. I'm working with them on their schoolwork. I'm doing arts and crafts. We're tie-dyeing like madmen. It's it's the best. This is the best. What if, are your favorite if, activities to do with your girls? Tie-dyeing. <laughs> tie-dyeing. I've got I a whole bunch of tie-dye outfits, just so you know. Tie-dye made a big comeback, okay? Well, let me let me tell you something. I take tie-dye to the next level now because I found a way to tie-dye without dyeing shirts. You can use permanent markers like Sharpies oh, and, yeah. dr- and draw on a shirt. You can make an inter- intricate um, pattern or a picture, whatever it is. And then all you do is you drop alcohol drops on the ink and it turns into watercolor. And there's no mask. Ah, I love it. Okay. And then it doesn't okay. fade. It doesn't fade. Like tie-dye kind of fades a little bit. But so, you know, I've got, I'm um, waiting my, from Amazon delivery of like little like <laughs> canvas slip-ons, little slippers made out yeah. of canvas. We're going to, we're going to use Sharpie markers and a little alcohol to, to make patterns on that. Um, you know, we're cooking, I'm making interesting snacks. I'm, I I'm on it. Etsy looking for ideas. People send me ideas. I'm so grateful. The silver lining in all this, this sorrow and hardship of, of life right now, the silver lining are, are my girls or the fact that I'm making memories that they'll remember forever. And so will I. And, I you know, it. to go to bring it full circle, memories are where my wealth is. Mm. I consider, I count my memories uh, and the ones that I'm making with my girls riding bicycles, they don't know, you know, they're going to show up later today. I got a trampoline in the backyard. Now they're going to blow their mind. Get yes! Away. You're a great dad. But listen, in closing, I was told that your mom gave you a lot of good life lessons. I mean, at the beginning of this interview, you said that your mom would always just like, keep it real with you, keep you going forward. What is one of some of the biggest life lessons that, you now are going to pass on to your daughters that your mom taught you? Um, you know, you, you have to be appreciative for everything. You know, uh, gratitude is, is so important. Uh, humility is, uh, is paramount. When I was uh, making my first commercial, um, I walked into the green room in New York City and my mom is there and Somebody, uh, one of the ADs, production assistant, comes in with a notepad and asks what I'd like for breakfast. Mm. And that was like, this whole process is new to me. So I'm looking at my mom. I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'd like cinnamon swirled French toast. I'd like some (laughs) cut up bananas. (laughs) You know, it's it's on. And as soon as I can uh, go to open my mouth, my mom puts her hand on my thigh and tells the young man that, oh, thank you, but he'll get it. Mm. And, you know, that didn't, uh, okay. And he left and my mom looked at me and said, Ian, I'm sure there's something more important that that gentleman can be doing than getting you breakfast. He was going to work just as hard on this project as you are. You might be in front of the camera, but just because he's behind it doesn't make him any less important. So while you can, you can get your own breakfast. You take care of your own yes, needs. I and then that. while you're at it, 
go introduce yourself to everyone on set. And that's really the way it is. It's always been for me. I prefer to get my own lunch because I don't need anybody catering to me. Um, and, you know, when you're on any kind of work environment, everyone has an oar in the water. doesn't matter what they're doing, whether it's the male guy or the boss or everyone in between. You know, everyone pulls together to make whatever they're doing successful. And I, I always, uh, I've always remembered that, you know, every, just treat everyone as equals. Yes. That needs to be reinstilled most definitely right now, the way that our country in this pandemic has affected our world and especially our country. Yeah. Well, you know, I, and that leads us to today's hustle hack. Today's hustle hack is hashtag gratitude. Just like Ian said, get your own damn breakfast, okay? Like his mama taught him. Don't be lazy. Don't be thinking that other people got to work for you. Darlings, learn to check your ego at the door and do the work at what you love to be successful. Have an attitude of gratitude to win. There's going to be people that don't believe in you, but you got to keep grinding to reach your goals. Even when people don't believe in you, do you have an attitude of gratitude? Ian, where can people find you at on social media? At Ian Zering on all the social media platforms. You can find me there. You can DM me or whatever. I, I respond. All right. And, it, and it's him. You verify, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's me. Okay, I love it. Now, Swamp Thing, what channel can they find your latest project, Swamp Thing, on? That airs on the CW Network. It's on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock. And if you download the CW app, you can stream whatever episodes have already aired. So you can see it whenever you want. I love it. I love it. Follow your girl at Miss Vivica Fox on Twitter and on Instagram at Miss V Fox. And follow us for the podcast show at Vivica Hustling. Subscribe, download, and listen to Hustling with Vivica A. Fox. Until next time, darlings. Bye for now. The Hustling with Vivica A. Fox podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during the podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.